A few years ago, I went on a mission trip, and I was expecting that when I went on this mission trip, that I was going to, I thought, okay, um, I'm probably going to get to, because I got to take a bunch of young people, it was a bunch of teenagers, um, this is a recurring thing in my life. I do something kind of cool, and then I'm handed a bunch of teenagers, and their parents are like, thanks so much for taking them, you're going to do awesome. So that happened. And so a bunch of teenagers and I, a couple, other, a couple other leaders too, but we all get going, and we get on this service learning trip, and it's this opportunity to go to Connecticut to help out. And I think, you know, this is great. They're going to have me, like, teaching. They've already asked me to do communion. So this is clearly going to be, I'm going to kind of do some teaching and mentoring and all my skills. It's going to be great. They'll ask me to do worship. I brought a piano, the whole thing. When I got there, um, I realized that my expectations in reality didn't quite meet. And I was going to be leading a work team. Now, if you know anything about me, um, that is a joke. That is so silly. Ha, 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 ha. But there was a survey. And the survey had all of the really fancy construction-like activities that you're qualified to do. So it has a little question that says, like, electrical. And I looked at that and thought, ha, 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 ha. Then I always thought carpentry was just carpentry. There was exterior carpentry and finished carpentry. First time I'd ever learned that. Um, Definitely did not check those boxes. Keep going. Many boxes not checking. Finally, there is one box at the end. And I realize, now I've I've come to a problem. I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to be serving. So if I don't check any of the boxes, they're going to think I'm like the world's biggest jerk, and then I'm just here for myself. So I have to check a box. So I'm like looking at this list, and I'm like, oh, no. But at the bottom, it says demolition work. And I thought, okay, you know, I probably don't know how to use a hammer. I probably don't know how to use a saw. But how hard can this be? Probably not that hard. And so I signed up for demolition work. And that week, my group primarily was smashing things, moving away trash. We had big gloves, all sorts of things. And I realized that day that it takes skill to build, but even David can do demolition work. Then, a couple years later, we moved into our new home, And there was debris everywhere. It was a fixer-upper. Fixer-upper, like the show? Fixer-upper. And once again, there were all these skill things we had to hire and do. And I was like, wow, there's not a lot I can do. But there was this broken-down fence and these broken-down things. And I once again realized I could put on heavy gloves, take some time, take the focus, and demolish the debris, get into a dumpster, get it gone. They hauled it off. Even David could do that. And then, now this is the silliest one. I didn't bring this prop because it would terrify people. Um, A dear friend of mine um, offered to give me his second chainsaw. Apparently he has two chainsaws, and so he offered to give me his second chainsaw. And so I watched a couple YouTube videos, and I'm very safe with it. I do the goggles and the gloves and everything. But what I learned is even silly David, who knows nothing about construction and nothing about building, can carefully use a chainsaw and not take his arm off. It's possible. And so what this taught me is, again, it takes skill to build, but anybody can do demolition. Now, that brings us to the second part of our Ten Commandments. We have this wonderful, wonderful little prop right here. Lots of props today. Wonderful little prop. It's got the Ten Commandments in really easy-to-understand terms. Last week, we talked about only having God no other gods. We talked about getting right size with God. This week, we're going to be talking about 
Don't make anyone or anything more important than God. Nice, easy language. Now, the text specifically of the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not make a graven image. It talks about idols, not making idols. But sometimes, I talked to you about before our sermon about some hidden curriculum, some hidden things that sometimes happen. Sometimes there's these insider words that are used only in church, and people are like, yeah, you're using a church word. I have no idea what's going on. So here's my slide. Here's the problem. What is an idol? Okay. In the ancient world, an idol was kind of clear-cut. Idols were tangible things. Often, give a few brief examples, God is up on the mountain with Moses. Like, their leader is actually talking to God. And the people get all frustrated and all anxious, and they're like, Moses is never coming down. This is the worst. And they start panicking, and they go over to Aaron, and they're like, we've got gold. You're going to burn it into a a cow image, and we're going to worship it. So that's kind of what an ancient world idol was. Here's the problem with when we think of that. Sometimes we can look at the Ten Commandments as a checklist and say, I'm good. I have not made a golden calf in my house. Life is good. Let's move on to number three. I'm here to say, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. Because there aren't just tangible idols We have to understand what an idol is. An idol is anything that I take out of its appropriate place and make it either equal to God or greater than God. Power can become an idol. There's an appropriate amount of power that people have. I'll give you an example. I am a parent. I have some authority over my children to teach my children, to pray with my children, to help them learn to love Jesus, to help them share, to help them be kind. There's an appropriate use of power. But very quickly, power can become an out-of-control idol, something we make as important or more important than God. And very quickly, it can become a problem in our life. We can have these intangible idols. And so let's not look at the Ten Commandments and say, I've got no images, I'm worshiping in my house, I'm good. Let's pause and say, okay, idolatry is more than just little statues. It's a matter of the heart. It is about, am I loving God first only, or am I making other things equal or greater than Him? If you come to our pastor's Bible study today, we're going to look in depth at two chapters in Kings, and we're going to do a fun little exercise by Tim Keller. I'm going to show you how to do it. He's a pastor. Um, You may have read some Tim Keller books, It's a take-home assignment because we probably won't want to do it in front of everybody because it's kind of a personal inventory thing with idols. But we all have times where we take things and make them greater than God. And that's why I'm calling this sermon Today's Demolition Day because to learn this second command, we're going to meet a guy named Josiah. Now, sometimes we look at the Bible and say, wow, it's really important, but I don't get the purpose of why we have it. The Bible has everything, Scripture has everything we need to understand salvation. It's all present in there. We don't need anything else. Also, the Bible has stories of people from a long time ago who were somewhat faithful, somewhat knuckleheadish, very faithful, not usually, just only somewhat faithful at the most, very knuckleheadish, totally problematic. And we're going to talk about real quick in quick succession four generations. There was a pretty faithful ruler, a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah lived in a time where the people were not being obedient and there were now consequences. They hadn't made God the only God. 
They had set up idols. They had done all this other stuff. And now there were consequences. There was this great nation that was threatening them. And Hezekiah said, you know what? I'm going to stop compromising. I'm going to stop trying to negotiate with this country. I'm just going to trust God. We're going to really follow him with our hearts. And then he builds a trench. He's healed from, healed from illness. And he has a pretty amazing faithful life. But then he dies. And he's got this son, Manasseh. And yes, I have frowny face on Manasseh. Why frowny face on Manasseh? Because unlike Hezekiah, Manasseh decided that his dad didn't really know what he was doing and that the solution for the kingdom was not to follow God. The solution was to put up all these idols and all these altars and all these things all over the place. And so he puts one here and then he puts one here and then he puts two here and all around and all through his life. And he reigns a pretty long time and then he dies. And then his son Ammon takes over. Okay, another, another frowny face because Ammon has a very short reign but Ammon, let's just, let's keep it simple. Ammon is so corrupt that he's killed in a palace coup, and then the people who do the palace coup are killed too. It's that bad. So now we get to the point where the kingdom is looking, and they're like, we need a ruler. Who is it going to be? And there's a little eight-year-old boy named Josiah. Eight, as in eight, not 18, not AD. Eight, like a third grader or a second grader, okay? Eight. And they're like, yeah, this is our new king. Okay, this poor kid is set up to fail. This is right in the text, by the way. Um, this is in 2 Kings chapters 21, really deals with Manasseh and Ammon. 22 deals with the beginning of Josiah's reign. We're going to look at 23 in a moment. But this eight-year-old has been set up to fail. Okay, so here's the thing. A significant of time into his reign, he grows up, and 18 years into his reign, he realizes today's demolition day. My grandfather Manasseh set up all these idols and we're reaping all the consequences and it's got to stop. And so if we're going to get one thing from the message, we're going to get this today. Before, before sub points, before catchy things, before stories, anything like that, write this down, jot it down. Here we go. Here's the bottom line. To trust God today, we have to start today. Doesn't matter what happened before. Doesn't matter what our previous generations did. Josiah was set up to fail. That didn't matter. Josiah came into power as eight years old. That didn't matter. He still had a choice every single day, every moment of his life. I can obey God or I can do my own thing. To trust God today, we have to start today. And so real quick in this text, we're going to look at highlights. Let me summarize the text real quick. You have Josiah gathers the leaders together and he says, you know what? There's a covenant, an agreement we've made between us and God. King David made it. We're going to reaffirm that covenant. We're not going to to agree to everything else. We're going to say, yep, we are here to serve God, and we live right size with God. And he uses his authority to have his leaders do the same thing. And then they say, okay, it's time to pick up the sledgehammer. And they just go around for a while, and they just smash all of Manasseh's idols. And the majority of the text deals with that. We'll look at a highlight but I invite you to read this text later. They smash the idols and they just get them out. Sometimes they smash them down. Sometimes they remove them. Sometimes they grind them up. There's all sorts of different ways to do it. They get rid of the idols. Then they come to a tomb. And at the tomb is an unnamed person that we don't have the name. He's just a man of God, the text says, a prophet of God. 
And this prophet of God predicted that someone, even though everyone was being disobedient for generations, that someone would come and smash idols and live the right way. And so Josiah now has this moment where he's like, aha, wow, God is faithful. I see it. But it doesn't start with him having an intellectual exercise. That comes at the very end of this. He starts with his heart. He starts with reaffirming the commands. He then gets to work. He smashes those idols. And then we get to that point where he's got that aha moment. And of course, then the text ends with him taking everybody back to Jerusalem and getting busy and doing the actual hard work of living as a kingdom under God. And that's not what today covers. Today's just demolition day. And so again, if we're going to get one thing today, I want us to get this right. If I want to trust God today, I have to start today. And so I I thought of a kind of When we think of the Christian life, it's got to start with our hearts. And Josiah shows us to it. It really comes first from the heart. And we see, really, that obedience is my choice. Every single day, I have an opportunity. I can either do my own thing or trust God. Josiah shows this, and the text shows us here. I want to read this together. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and here it is, verse 3. He, Josiah, King Josiah, pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with his heart and with his soul. King Josiah realized that obedience isn't something out of his control. It's not something where you have to just wish that maybe it'll happen. It's a choice every day. It's not only day by day, it's moment by moment. Every single moment... Each of us has the opportunity. Do I obey God with my heart or do I do something else? Now, I showed you four generations in the text. I want to tell you about a couple generations in my life. And let me tell you why. I am not saying that my family is the perfect family, not by any stretch. But maybe you will identify a little bit with some of the family things that I tell you about. Maybe you'll identify more with our visual of Smiley face, frown, frown, question mark. Because families are, families are complicated. Sometimes we have families that are really faithful for generations and we're now here and we still have to choose obedience or not. Sometimes we have generations of dysfunctional cycles and we come to today and we have to make a choice. Sometimes we're like Josiah and we have a really, really, really amazing ancestor, then some disobedient people and we have to make a choice today. Do you see what I'm trying to point out, the pattern. It really doesn't matter what came before. It simply matters, do I choose today? And every generation has that opportunity. Scripture is clear. If we don't choose it, future generations will. That's what was was predicted in 1 Kings, that they come to this tomb. Someone predicted that, that even though the people of that day were not being obedient, someone would be obedient. And here's this obedient person, Josiah. Now, my great grandfather, David Stanley Mallory, was a hard-drinking, hard-living Canadian lumberjack. And an evangelist named Judson White came and laid out the gospel message. And my grandfather listened, my great-grandfather listened, and was deeply moved and had a choice. Because as much as giving your life to Jesus were justified, we then have the choice. Am I going to now live and follow or am I going to go back to being disobedient? So he had a choice. 
do I now live for God or do I just kind of do whatever I want? Next generation, my grandfather was a United Methodist pastor eventually, but did not always start that way. My grandfather was Ralph Donald Cushing. And he found himself in the Midwest, out of the ministry. He found himself teaching and being an insurance agent, balancing multiple jobs, and he had a choice to make. His wife had been praying and saying, you know, Lord, please give my husband an opportunity to return to the ministry. And he got a call. And the call was, hi, I'm a United Methodist, and I'd like to offer you some churches. Now, Joel Osteen's church was not offered. This was not some big mega church. These were little tiny churches in the mid-20th century, on the prairie, freezing cold, lightly attended. This was not going to be some big exercise in feeling awesome and getting to preach to thousands. This was obedience, and he had to choose. My dad came to an in-between time in his life where he had to choose, am I going to let myself will run wild, run wild, or am I going to surrender to God? And he talked about that a couple weeks ago. For myself, see, it happens every generation. Obedience is always my choice. For my generation, I either dropped out or got kicked out of music school, college, however you want to think of it. It's a complicated story. But I sat 21 years old, jaded, angry, frustrated on my parents' couch, directionless, annoyed, feeling like a failure, maybe wondering, have I become agnostic? I don't know. Really confused, really annoyed, really disgruntled. And someone over, someone interfered and got me an opportunity to start working with kids in a special needs program at a high school. And it was very clear. There's times in our lives where things aren't clear. It was very clear. I could choose obedience and this was the path, or I could now choose the way of the world and do something else. It was laid out, very clear. Obedience was my choice. And for each of us, we all have a choice. Do we trust God or do we do our own thing? This isn't just your pastors talking about this. This isn't just in Scripture. For each of us, in my workplace, in my marriage, in your workplace, in your marriage, in the supermarket, in the community center, am I going to obey God with my heart or am I going to kind of do everything else? It is the choice that we have Because the good news is is God's grace is greater than any idol. God's free gift is more powerful than anything that we take and we put in the way. I mentioned that I've got some in my pocket. I've got some ones, some fun ones. Um, I've got something like achievement. Achievement has its place in life, but it can become way too much. Am I going to choose to obey God or am I continue to let idols like this reign? It is my choice every day in this moment. And so that brings us back to Josiah. Because so, so you're saying, okay, David, you talked about demolition day, but I haven't heard any demolishing yet. Oh, wait, here's the text. Let's go back to it. So for the rest of the text now, in this chapter in 2 Kings, you see Josiah is literally going to go around and start smashing idols. I'm going to read one highlight of it, but there's many, many verses like this. And when you look back later, get excited, and you can see his odyssey of smash this idol, smash this idol, smash this idol, smash this idol. Let's look at this text. Verse 15. The king also torn down the altar at Bethel. 
the pagan shrine that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had made when he caused Israel to sin. He burned down the shrine and ground it to the dust. So Josiah clearly has this choice. If I'm going to start smashing idols, I can wait around and see if they'll smash themselves. They won't. Or I can get to work. It takes work. In the generations I talked about, for David Stanley Mallory, that meant giving up his lifestyle. That meant being part of a small community. That meant being part of pleasant Sunday afternoons. Pleasant Sunday afternoons were an opportunity to live a life of service as men of the church in the community, praying with the sick, having a meal together, having Bible study together, and doing good deeds and community outreach directly in the town. For my grandfather, an idol, I'm sorry, I'm going to be honest, for every single pastor you've ever met, attendance becomes an idol, okay? It just does. If, if, if someone says they don't care about attendance, maybe that's an aspirational value. We do. I'm sorry. It's true. And so for my grandfather, it meant smashing the idol of attendance and accepting God's churches no matter how small they are, no matter how far apart they were on the prairie, and understanding that that was just okay, and that he was there to love God, to love his neighbor, to serve. And that idol, attendance, it's, it's important to have people come to church, but it should not be made more important and smash that. For my father, and he shared this a couple weeks ago, it became about embracing the 12 steps, identifying the idols in his life, surrendering to God and smashing them. And for me on that couch, I would be dishonest if I said all the idols were smashed in one day, because let's be honest, in our lives, the things we make greater than God, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of them. It's not like one thing. It's like many, many, many. So it kind of becomes every year right around Thanksgiving, I pray to God and I say, you know, God, please reveal to me the things that have become idols in my life, the things that have gone beyond where they should be, and I've put them up here and whether I need to smash him or you need to smash him, let's smash him. And you know what? God shows up every single time and makes it very, very clear through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts me every single time of what those things are. So I've seen the last 10 to 12 years as an idol-smashing tour. I'll have an inventory around that time, and I'll say, what has it got to be? That doesn't mean that those things are even necessarily fully out of control yet in my life. Maybe it's an emerging idol something that I look at and I say, you know what? I'll give you an example. In my family, alcoholism has been an issue. I, I am not in recovery, but I've chosen to say, I don't want to have alcohol become an idol. So a couple of years ago, I just gave it up and I stopped. It's not that I'm in recovery. It's I said, you know what? That's not worth it. I can see a road where a, a, maybe five years, maybe 10, maybe 50, I don't know. I see the writing on the wall. Lord, please help me smash that idol. And in each of our lives, there are things that we make more important than God, and we have that opportunity to smash them. And so my question for you is simple. I've got these cards. You don't need to see every card right now because we, each of us knows what is that thing in my life I'm putting out of its proper place? What is that thing that should be here, just part of my life, and it's become enormous? Comfort is, is, is good, in its place. But if I'm mortgaging all of my debt and doing a million credit cards and things I can't afford to impress people I can't afford and comfort becomes king of my life, now I am just stuck as a slave to comfort. And so my question is, okay, 
identify the idols, what steps are needed to start smashing the idols? Because we start with that heart, obedience is my choice, we start with, go to the hands, and then finally, oftentimes in the Christian life, we think we should kind of think through everything, that faith starts with understanding. You know, if seminary has taught me anything, faith is about faith first seeking understanding. Understanding seeking faith is a very difficult thing. And so we do have to have this head experience that it's the end. Josiah shows us this. Look what he does. So he smashed the idols, and they come to this tomb of this man of God, and here's what happens. Josiah turned and looked up at the tomb of the man of God who had predicted these things. What is that monument over there? Josiah asked. And the people of the town told him, it's the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted the very things you have just done to the altar at Bethel. Josiah lived in the context of people who came before him. Each of us lives in the context of people who came before us. Scripture is very clear. God's looking for obedience, and God knows there will be people who are obedient. God's looking for revival, and God brings people who help bring his revival in. The question is, do we want to be part of the solution, or do we want to kind of do our own thing? We've got that choice. Obedience, it starts with the heart. Do I want to trust God, and that means today, or not? Because tomorrow can become an idol, right? The reason I say one point for today, trust God today, means today, because tomorrow, I don't have it written on a card, but you can write tomorrow on that card and be like, yeah, tomorrow is going to save everything. It's all going to be good. Not only will the sun come out tomorrow, but my life will be perfect tomorrow. Nope. Reality is, as we know, if we're going to trust God, we have to begin today. And so Josiah looks back, and he realizes, wow, I didn't know about this monument, but yes, God is working, even in this really corrupt kingdom, even with all these people who are doing all these things, and they're making these idols, he's still saying, you know, there are going to be people who are going to return to me. There's going to be an opportunity to just say, God, I want to get right-sized with you, I want to love you, I want to love my neighbor. And so when I was sitting on that couch at the age of 21, I'm sitting there, crusty and frustrated, but I'm also not ignorant. I knew the stories of those who came before me in my family. I knew about the in-between times each of them faced. And praise God that I did, because as I was making my decision, I told you it was very clear. I'm sitting on that couch, and probably the clearest time in my life, I can go this way and it's obeying God, and I can go this way and it's not. We often look for these moments in our lives We wish things were this linear. They're not usually. In this one moment, it was. I could get involved in the schools, serve God, get involved with helping young people, or I could do my own thing. And I remember the in-between times. I remember that God is faithful and works throughout the generations. And it was able to smash many of the idols starting in that moment. And so my question for us is we need to be open to the lessons of the past. Are we asking about the people in our communities who came before us. There are stories of people who are past in this church. Are we getting to know the stories of the men and women of faith in this church, in our community, who have lived before us? Are we asking about our families? I've brought up Fancy Nancy before, and I promise for a while this will be the last time I'll bring up Fancy Nancy in a sermon. But I was reading Fancy Nancy with my two-and-a-half-year-old, and we came upon a book where it was talking about ancestors, 
And at that moment, my heart was convicted. Wow, I need to continue to get to know the stories of my ancestors, those who came before me. I want Ruby and Henry to know them, and I want to know them. I want to learn from that because the people who came before me had to deal with the same kind of idolatry and the same sort of things where they took something that wasn't God and made it as important or made it more important. And so that's my question. I'm going to do the prop because I want the silly visual to get in your head. If today's demolition day, okay, so today's demolition day, this is like the third time in my life I've ever put on a construction helmet. Thank you, Darren Brown, for letting me borrow some of this. So the question is, okay, today's demolition day. What does that mean? Because the truth is, is that each of us has things in our lives, each of us has things in our lives that we're allowing to be higher than their proper place, that we are putting on the level of God or greater than God. And what happens next? Because I I started the story, the, the beginning of this message, with a few silly stories about how I learned that I am not skilled enough to build, but I can tear down. In our lives, it's the same thing. We don't have to be skilled enough to have all the answers and know perfectly how to live the Christian life, but we can start today and pick up the sledgehammer. It's a little heavy, but it's not that bad. We can pick up the sledgehammer and either smash the idols ourselves or say, you know what, Lord, what would you have me do? And that's what I really want to remind us of today. If I'm going to trust God today, there may be something that I'm very aware of. In fact, I'm going to say that for the majority of us in this room, something we're very aware of that is getting in the way of our relationship with Jesus. There's something that is being made of more than God, that we're, we're taking it from its proper place, something like comfort or power or achievement. These things that, yes, they're part of our life, but they should not be what we serve. We serve God. We love God. And that is what this commandment teaches us. Don't make anyone or anything more important than God. And if we do, God, give us the wisdom and the strength to smash the idols. And so as we close, we're going to do a song. And if you've got something you're struggling with today that you're saying, you know, this has become an idol in my life. I have put this above God. I have put this at a point where it is more important and it is crushing me. I'd love to pray with you up here. We can, if we've got a lot of people come up, we'll, we'll call some other prayers up here. But the reality is, is that if I want to trust God today, I've got to start today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to simply remember that I am here to serve and love you. I'm here to love and serve my neighbor. And that the rest will take care of itself. At those times that I've made something more important than you, that I've let things get out of whack, forgive me of those times. Forgive each of us. Please give us the strength. Whether we can smash the idol or you do it for us, allow us to be open to those conversations, to take those way forwards. If that's getting into a program, if that is having a difficult conversation, if that is giving something up, if that is getting into counseling, whatever it is, You have put those on our hearts. God, let us be open to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.